Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101, Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they are eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course, Esports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard. Tom Leonard, I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how esports can create jobs anywhere in the world. Play games, create jobs, change lives. In season one, we talked about jobs. In season two, we talked about follow the money, how, about investment, about sponsorship. And now in season three, we're talking about other topics we call esports 101. Really, really happy to have a special guest here today, uh, Patricia Ryan Madsen who is the author of a great book we're going to be talking about, Improv Wisdom, and also uh, Professor Emerita from Stanford University, where I went to school. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you, Tom. Looking forward to this. I, uh, first, I, I have to give a shout out to Matt Abrahams, who, who's, who we had, and he's the one that uh, suggested we connect and, and be able to talk because he mentioned your book several times in our episode that will be coming out here this weekend as we record. And um, and so that's what what introduced me to some, some great concepts there. So first question I got to ask, are you a gamer? Uh, no, sir. I'm sorry. In fact, I may be the first guest on your program who has never, never even done a video game. Uh, that, which, which that will make this even more interesting. It's like that. And I had to look up what eSports is, and it looked so interesting. I was going to try to get from you a recommendation of one to take a look at, because I thought, wow, there's this whole world of people doing things together that looks like a marvelous idea that you're supporting, but I, I've never seen when, when you talk in your book about, we'll talk about it in a minute, but uh, enjoy the ride. It's like, it's like play games yeah. and, and the, the value of playing games. And it's like, that's why I keep reminding people all the time here. It's like, you're in an industry that's based on people playing games. I mean, it's like, how how tough can it be? Not everyone, you know, you're not like a chartered accountant or something like that. So where are you speaking to us from? I am in the little town of El Granada, California, which is about 25 miles south of San Francisco and just north of Half Moon Bay, California. Yes. So we'll... We're over the hill, as they say, from Stanford and Silicon Valley. And it's very cool and lovely with the ocean air. Yes. Yes. It always seemed like if there was going to be fog somewhere, it's like you, you guys see it first. Yeah. We've got yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, want to talk a little bit about um, uh, our audience here, because one of the things, and it's really good uh, to kind of give you a feel for who our audience is and our audiences are gamers, people who are playing games out there, mm-hmm. and some of them at, at some of the highest levels um, that are out there. We do have esports entrepreneurs, and they basically fall into two categories. They're either people who are building a team, or they uh, organize tournaments. And we'll go through it a little bit, get your recommendation on on some things that, that could be helpful for them. But the first thing I wanted to do, do a little quote here from your start of your book. You, you talk about People I people that I admired were not looking over their shoulders to see if people were applauding. 
I do this because I know it needs to be done. That is, that is the theme. If there's one theme of our entire podcast, that is it. Because we talked to people, they weren't looking for a role model. They weren't looking for permission. They just went out there and did it. Can you explain a little bit more on, on how important that is? I, I think it's, um, most of us spend a lot of our life actually looking over our shoulders in some way. We all, it's human to want to be liked and admired. And, and there's a great fear in looking stupid or not doing well enough in other people's eyes. <clears throat> but I have to tell you, as someone who, I just turned 80 in December. So if you spend too much time looking over your shoulder at what people think about you, you're going to waste some precious moments. So it seems to me like the people that are involved in the gaming that, um, that you're helping to support and, and cheer for are doing the right thing of going after what gives them joy and pleasure and makes meaning in their life, whether somebody else thinks it's cool or not. Um, I think we need to be, um, that needs to be done phrase, I think is really useful because that's different from what I want to do or what I think I ought to do or what people think I ought to do. The need to be done comes from a different place in us, I believe. Uh, And I can't tell you exactly where that is, but sometimes I simply know what needs to be done. When my cat box has just been filled, what needs to be done is, is clean it. So um, there are things that are really obvious in life. Um, I'm not sure how this translates exactly to the game. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Could you describe a little bit about what improv is to our audience? Because I think if people have heard about improv, they probably think about improv comedy out there. And can, could you exactly. expand a little bit on what improv is from your uh, perspective? Be glad to. And I think that's a great question to start because the word improv brings up comedy and cleverness and uh, being on stage to entertain folks. And there's no question but that some improv has that as its purpose. Um, and some classes on improv are, are there to help train you to become a stage performer who improvises scenes and sketches. But if you think about it, improvisation is what humans do unless they're performing a script that this right now we're having a conversation. We could not know exactly what question or how it would be phrased. And I don't know until I hear it, what I put something together. So all of human conversation is improvised. And even if we have a plan, how that happens is an improvisation. We certainly know that, um, Today, no matter what the uh, forecasts are for uh, whether it's weather or politics or uh, uh, what's going to be in the refrigerator, we can't we can't count on things. We hope for them or we maybe expect them, but life is going to bring us whatever. And an improviser is someone who is uh, awake who is alert and noticing what's actually going on. Certainly gamers have got to have their eyes on the, on the screen to see what's happening next. They're, they're attentive. They're accepting because the thing that may be happening might be something you don't like, or you're not happy with, or maybe your uh, opponent is uh, scoring some points or something. You have to accept that. And then you have to appreciate where you are 
and then act on it. That what needs to be done comes after you have opened yourself to whatever is happening in life. So improvisers are, are people who are, in a way, awake to life. Um, right now, it's very um, fashionable to talk about mindfulness. And that idea of mindfulness is being really alert and aware to exactly what's going on, not thinking ahead to what you're going to do. And that's, um, that's one of the traps. In, in improv, we train to work with the idea that's right in front of our mind, right there, rather than um, struggling too hard to get to a good idea. And I bet good gamers are, are, in a sense, reactive in that way. They are right in the moment of what's going on and able to, to shift from one direction to another. Certainly, that's um, great athletes do that. They, um, they pivot and, uh, and they deal with rebound, which I think is so important in everyday life as well as, uh, as well as in games. So my classes are not so much about how to stand up and entertain your friends with your funny wit, although some people like to go on and do that. I'm there here to sort of talk about and encourage you in your everyday life or in the thing that you're, you love and that you're doing to show up for it more often, to accept what's going on, to have a good time, to make some mistakes, for heaven's sakes, please. And to one of the, um, the maxims that I think is often counterintuitive. I was, I was going to ask you about that one because that's, that was like, how do you tell someone who's really competitive? out there, be average. Well, I will tell them, I'll tell them why it's useful. Because we screw ourselves up by trying to excel all of the time. When I'm trying my best to give the very best interview or, the, or make the best point or whatever it is, when I'm, it creates a striving which takes us away from our natural mind and ability. We've all seen it where um, that, that important uh, kick that's going to win the Super Bowl or not, um, they, he tried so hard that it, he just blew it. But if he'd just gone in to make an average kick, I'll be darned. Look what happens when you take the pressure off yourself. So the B average advice is more or less a trick to say, look, of course we all want to do well, but the most likely route to that is to get out of your way in striving after excellence. It traps us. It, it really does. So um, I was telling friends that I have a group of uh, friends that one Friday night a month, we go together to do bad art night. And the idea is uh, with bad art is we can all do that, right? So we show up with our projects or our watercolors or our knitting or whatever and uh, get together. And it means we're doing art. And so... At some point, if you're not going to make any kind of art unless you do it, so if we go, we know we could do bad art, and lo and behold, it, it often turns out really, really well, and we've taken the pressure off us. I think one of the things you mentioned there is go for the obvious. It's like it's like what like I mean you want everyone is always told to think outside the box, but maybe maybe there's something inside the box that it will be just as useful and easier to. Get all of them. It's exactly. I, I advise thinking inside the box with new eyes, with fresh eyes. This outside the box will take us into weird um, 
I don't know, plaid mermaids and uh, crazy stuff. It's easy to get crazy stuff. In fact, when I talk about creativity, creativity is, um, is a dime a dozen when you're just trying to come up with something that's outside the box. But most problems that we are facing or we need to solve have a box that if we respect it and work within it, and probably for the gamer, that's the rules of the game, the, the sort of the temperature of the day, um, and all of your own thinking about what you're doing, how you, um, how you get your team working. I think that's another um, aspect that improv can be helpful for in your, uh, in your world is helping teams work together. And that has to do with making your partner look good and uh, taking care of them rather than trying to shine yourself. It's quite remarkable how much everybody benefits if team players are looking out for each other. How do you, okay, let's say if you're a gamer and you know that, uh, in, in, mm -hmm. I don't think there's anyone, well, there, there's there's few games that might be individual out there, but it's just like regular sports. I mean, there's individual sports and then there's team sports, but certainly on a team sport, it, do you have any specific things that, that someone that wants to be a better team player or wants to have, you know, wants to, uh, do things that create a better team for everyone. It's watching the other players as if they are your world. It, it's really paying attention to the details. I think another thing um, is making sure that you not only notice, but compliment each other. Man, that was a great shot. Wow, I was so grateful you were there. If you hadn't been to my left, we couldn't have done that. Um, so it's recognizing what other people are doing specifically from which you benefit and, and, uh, and then letting them know that. It's constantly being both generous and grateful. Those two Gs are real important. Yeah, and so much of what you're describing is just general rules in life. It's like it's like this is not rocket science. We're not we're we're not trying to describe something that should be foreign to anybody. Which one of the things I really liked about your book was just you, you, the the exercises that went through there, and and so much of it was just some. It's like man, that's just common sense, but I hadn't thought of it that way. And now, and that's one of the reasons that I was really happy to have this conversation because, as like as I've said before, people in esports and playing games they're already improvising, but this gives them a framework to maybe, you know, expand on it, you know, so that they understand and can get the most out of it. What if someone is a coach of players mm -hmm. and they, they want to get more, you know, they want the players to do better. Um, how, what kind of techniques can they use to, um, to um, inspire their team? I think it's working from the positive and a little bit like I was just talking about. It's noticing in detail what you're, players are doing, pointing it out that you've noticed and approving of that. You're more likely to catch more uh, flies with honey than vinegar, constantly looking for um, the things the teams need to correct. So I would say coach from the positive, golly, uh, and look for every opportunity you can to make a specific note and say you're doing a great job in that particular role. So that's one of the things. It's, it's basically coaching from the positive and pointing out specific details. No one has ever reported that they've had too much praise, for heaven's sakes. We're all just 
longing to have someone notice that we're doing okay. Or um, in fact, my 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 latest um, little practice wherever I go is uh, seeing how often I can say, "You're doing a good job. You're doing a great job." I uh, I tell it to clerks and and uh, and. The way they brighten up and it seems to um, make their day, and all I have to do is really notice because pretty much everybody is doing a good job. And nice to hear it. You're doing a great job, Tom. Golly, out of nowhere, you found this and uh, have invited me so warmly into this riverside yes. room. So on the other side of that, if, if you're always positive and you're always giving positive feedback, how do you then give give them the bad news? It's like okay, it's like you always. It would be nice to always be positive, but people don't always. Uh, you also need to be honest with them about how to how to improve. How do you do that? I think it's by giving examples of what what is what is a better way or what's a good way to do something that's not working. That's still using positive to deal with the negatives. Say if you're noticing that um, that there's a particular maneuver, somebody um, I'm a big fan of women's basketball, and and we notice that um, somebody who's supposed to be guarding the right side um, is uh, seems to forget every time they go down, and you might point out a a, a, a better way to do that without just saying you're you're not doing a good job, but by um, looking to what is going to improve things um, and seeing if maybe the player has some some feedback too um, of are you having problems guarding there? Is there some way some way we can uh, help you do what you're supposed to be doing? That was one of the things that Matt talked about. Matt Abraham was on because um, I was asking him. Well, I asked him uh, to give me critique. Give me three three things that I could do to improve my podcast, and uh, because how often am I going to get to talk to a Stanford uh, professor and uh, communication about my podcast? So, but it was interesting because his concept was very similar. It was like, okay, you know, I always start out with something positive. It's like, oh, you always do, you're always doing this, but you know, you could do this, and other people have done this, and then I've seen this sort of thing, and and so he he was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was being constructive at the same time, not overly critical. I think that's it's it's how you give how you give a note um, makes all the difference. But there there's a feeling to criticism that we all recognize, or when when we're really told that what we did didn't work or or we're wrong, um, it's glowingly clear when. And even if the criticism is meant to be constructive and helpful, um, it's sort of how it's delivered. I, I think it might be valuable to have a conversation with a team, if you're the coach, about what are the ways that when we're trying to improve, what are the things I can help you with? What would you like to know from the from the outsider's perspective who, are, who want us to win and do better? Um, and are there, are there ways that we're working that... Um, you think, ask them to be a coach. There's another thing of, of kind of turning that around, make an, a player um, each for each game uh, the, the secondary coach for the day or something so that they're um, also looking for what they can, what kind of helpful 
advice they could give to their other teammates. We're bound to have, we always think we know what somebody else could do better. I just ask my husband. I can definitely tell him what he could be doing better and how. <laughs> but he doesn't want to hear that. But maybe if I ask him, um, is there something that do you think my perspective might help you on? I think it's constantly a dance to try to improve communication and improve ways that we can make sure how much we respect each other and 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 be there when it's needed. I was trying to think of some of the other um, maxims that might be useful. The um, well, waking up to the gifts is my favorite of um, all of them, and that's a mindset. You might say improv itself is a mindset. Waking up to the gifts is noticing how something that is sort of working for us all the time and is there um, is actually a great benefit. Um, there's something called vampire, what is it? Vampire energy. Right now in your home, there are a lot of things that are plugged in that we're not using or don't pay much attention to, but that energy is being supportive. But when I reach over to turn on a light or plug in my uh, iPad or something, it, it comes alive for us. And I think that um, I'm a great fan of starting to notice what we're receiving from each other, from the environment, from all of the powers sources of, uh, of energy. Right now, you and I couldn't be talking without the miracle of the, of the internet and with this particular um, app that's helping us listen and, and communicate. Isn't, isn't that amazing? I think part of waking up to the gifts is never, never letting ourselves be um, blasé about all the stuff that is already working. There's an improv game where we say, uh, what's not wrong about today? Wow. I, what's not wrong about today is I don't have a toothache. Oh, boy. The, the big uh, hurricane in Florida has not hit my house. Well, and that's not just silliness. It's also uh, a way of realizing even in the worst of circumstances, there's a lot of support. That's also what we're learning in this, um, in the current hurricane in Florida, that people are coming to everyone's um, help and defense, and we're here for. Did you see? Influence. Did you see where even the governor of California and the governor of Florida had civil words between each other to support? And I was just like, I'm going to circle that one because that's that's like, wow! It took it took two hurricanes to make that happen, but it's like it can happen. Exactly, and that's so. It's so true. There's a, uh, oh, there's a whole book about how, um, how we we rise in our humanity when there are natural disasters. So it's a book about the uh, um, San Francisco earthquake and all of the communities that formed around that. Uh, I think it's Rebecca Solnit's book. But um, could, you, yeah, could you talk a little yeah. bit about culture? Because you you've been you, you've been around the world you you you've been to other cultures out there and and just I I just know being around Stanford I mean there's students from every part of the world which is part of the benefit there and so you're you have a lot of different cultures does improv translate well to other cultures Yes, it has. It, I think it does. 
In fact, what we learned, we, I just had a reunion of the group that I formed called the Stanford Improvisers. They, they came into being in 1991. And we had a 30-second year reunion and um, 130 of them from all over the all over the country and the world actually showed up to celebrate their um, being a member of this group. And we started playing games um, rather than just standing around drinking and talking. We started playing improv games. And what was remarkable to me was that across generations, some of my students who are now 55 years old, along with the 19-year-old sophomores at Stanford, jumped in and, and played games as if they were old friends because the baseline of this culture is to say yes to each other, to be, to have positivity as your default. And they're, they're primed to do that. And so when they got in the room with a hundred other people of different generations, um, the culture of improv lifted us all. It was just a miracle. I thought if the world could all, could all be improvisers, um, there'd be less, less sort of political struggle where our politics have gotten such that they can't agree on anything. And so uh, I would like to get the politicians in a, in a room and uh, play yes games where they have to agree with each other. And that's all, that's the only rule that's allowed. And then you, once you have to agree, then you're going to work to find a way that, that that agreement makes sense to you. And not just uh, you're not just doing it because of the rule. It's interesting because so this when you're talking, I, I'm bringing up. I brought up culture, and I'm thinking, oh, Asian culture versus South American culture versus American culture. And you you start talking about the different age groups and the culture differences. Mm-hmm. It just it was interesting because you, you you were talking about cultural differences that were not the first thing that I thought of, but I can see exactly what what it is that you're saying. Um, and that a culture, uh, somebody said, my, uh, what, what is culture? Culture is the way we do things, right? That's simple. And if the way we do things is to have a, a default agreement that we're going to go positive and work from that area, um, I, I discovered that there actually is the culture of improv, and I do think that crosses um timelines, age lines, as, as well as um, different, different cultures, uh, not only politically, but uh, ethnically and uh, in, in the world situation. Um, there are improv groups <clears throat> that are formed around my book in China now. I keep hearing from, the, from my Chinese improvisers, and they really love the idea that, um, that they're learning to play together in a, and have fun doing games uh, because we're actually, in a, in a way, we're gamers too. But the game we might be playing is, uh, all right, now, uh, both of you in this scene have to speak only in three-word sentences. Go. And so two people jump on stage with that restriction. That becomes an improv game. And they make stuff up using three-word sentences. Um and we yeah uh, no no it certainly certainly sounds like it. and you yeah just as you're describing that I'm just thinking about how that would how that would work out and with other people how much fun it would be to be uh, to be creative yeah I can see the I can see the attraction to it a lot one of the things you mentioned in the book 
And I think, let's see, in my number, in maximum number seven on facing facts, wishing other people would change. Because I think that's one thing that um, so many people spend so much of their life and in, in just in personal relationships, that's one 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 area. But just you're trying to get people to change when maybe you can you can figure out ways to work with them and make make it good make it better for everyone working with the way they. And I was also thinking the opposite. It's like people are working with me. It's like okay. It's like you know, how how do they have to how do they have to work different uh, around around me? So it, it, could you talk a little bit more about that particular? Absolutely. I love that you brought it right back to there because the only, the only person we can change is ourself. And the only thing about ourself that we can change is our behavior. We actually can't even change our feelings. They sort of come and go. But, um, to uh, starting with this topic was, um, if we recognize that we fundamentally can't change other people. Oh, we try as hard as we can, but we, we can all testify. It doesn't usually work, even if we make very helpful suggestions. So instead of uh, my whole practice now is trying to become more and more accepting of the way other people do what they do. And it starts with that annoying feeling I get in my body when, say, my husband does that thing that he does. Okay. He's doing that. He, he can't hear you. Can so he? I can tell no, he can't. He's just gone out for his run. <laughs> but if he could hear me, he would agree with this. What I what I do now when I notice that he's doing that thing that 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 annoys me is I first notice that ah I'm getting annoyed. Interesting. So what should I need to do? I take a breath. I breathe, and I realize I'm just going to accept that the way it is and kind of move on. I that the. The sooner you're able to learn this factoid of life and then try to get better at it. I still get annoyed at people, but I, I, my response to it is different rather than just going off on that tangent. There he goes again. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Golly. That, um, I'm, I think of an example. Um, we go to a, a gym in Half Moon Bay. And there's one fellow regularly who came, comes in in the morning and he gets on the, uh, the treadmill and he pounds the thing like crazy. It's so loud. He pounds and he pounds and he pounds and he makes noise and just drives me crazy. Probably everybody else in the gym too. That that's, so I noticed that every time I was going in there and I was uh, listening to him do that, I was thinking, I, 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 I was getting upset by it. So I thought, wait, he's going to now be my sort of class action suit to try to see if I could work differently with myself because we, we've agreed we can't change that guy. We don't need to. He's doing what he needs to do. So when, when I notice that, it's like, oh, there goes that guy again. Interesting. All right, now what do I need to do? Okay, I need to pay really good attention to the machine that I'm on and uh, see if I can't get my muscles working a little better and just shift my attention off of him altogether. As soon as I do that, my world changes for the better. He still gets to do the annoying thing he's doing. But the reality is that um, if I can let go and practice letting go of annoyances, because there's no, there's no point in it, all it does is annoy me and ruin my day for 
the next half an hour. So now when I go into the gym and he's there, it doesn't even bother me anymore because I've kind of changed how I look at that whole situation. He has a right to pound the thing and I don't need to fix him and I can have a good day just I as well. I think that makes a whole lot of sense because it's certainly in, in playing games and you're on teams and you're not going to want you're not going to like every single person on every team you're ever a part of. And even you know, it, casual teams are even more so. It's like, but but if you spend all your time, it, you know, concentrating on them, I mean, it, 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 it kind, of, um, uh, kind of throws you off. How do you get other people into, into improvisation? Let's say, let's say we're saying, we're, we're agreeing that improvisation, there, there's all kinds of benefits here that People, whether you're a gamer, whether you're an entrepreneur, um, th- that you could benefit from it. You, you you really believe that, and you want other people in your organization to do it. How can you um, how can you recruit them? Well, there's um, increasingly improv classes everywhere. So one thing would be to check out if there's not uh, check online to see improv classes in my area, um, uh, to see if there's a class. Okay. Um, my, my second thought would be to um, get a copy of my book or listen to the audio book. Um, this has got some good ideas. You don't have to be in a class to realize that, oh, I can just show up for the thing I need to do, or um, I can be average, or I can, some of the things we've just been talking about. Um, there's good advice in the Improv Wisdom book, and it's now available in nine languages, and there's even a Russian audio book. I saw that, I saw that on your website. I thought, wow, Russian even. Russian even. My gosh. Yeah, I was telling someone that there is a single Braille copy in Chinese of this book in a Taiwanese library, of all things. So the, the book's got uh, is kind of an easy read, um, a good way to get it, ideas. Um. The other thing is most communities have some kind of uh, improv groups performing. Very often those groups, I, here in San Francisco, there's Bay Area Theater Sports is one, and there's comedy sports in the San Jose area, and um, there are two or three other people who are teaching improv classes, and they're generally inexpensive and um, harmless. Even if you think, well, I'm not a comedian, you could probably... Um, in, enjoy taking a class or going to a performance uh, or just reading yes. a book. Yes. I, I think it, I mean, we're definitely put links to your book because that's what got us here into this conversation to begin with. Because one of the things I like about your book is the exercises because it isn't, it isn't just like preach, 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 and then on to the next chapter. It's like, no, it's like do these things. And you know, you're opening a little gift in your mind and it's like, you know, it's like, Oh, how did that happen? So, so there's it, it very, um, very practical. When you work with young people, maybe this goes back to culture. When you work with with, with people at Stanford, you know that are are in, uh, you know, as an undergraduate um, class, there do they think of improv differently than maybe we do? Because it's one of the things I keep thinking is, as I hear you talking about all these all these things that, to a certain degree, come with age. I mean, it's just, it's just like to be, you know, to be able to you know, let things go and 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 look at the bigger picture and all this kind of stuff. And I, I always think, well, maybe I do that because I'm older. But what about young people? Are they do they look they do they look at things differently? I 
You know, the reality is I haven't been in a classroom with young people now in about five years. I've been on Zoom, um, in Zoom rooms with them. Uh, I do think that if you if you want to call these ideas wisdom, which is a very kind of um, upscale word for a bunch of living principles, if there's wisdom there, it it sort of crosses the specter, I think, of time um, or of age. And it's certainly, I never have any problem with, uh, with the freshmen in my classes um, selling some of these ideas because they do them. If it was just listening to me tell you this is good for you, I can understand, well, why? I, I don't think so. That's, that's an old lady saying, except life's in there, or ha-ha. But once you've tried something, for example, one of the things uh, is go home a different way. So when you leave the office today or, um, or you're on your way back to the dorm or whatever, wherever you're going, take a different route. So just on purpose, do it a, a slightly different way. And while you're going that new way, see if you can notice some new landmarks or th see things that you hadn't noticed before. We, we are creatures of habit, and that's often a very good thing. If you've got a good habit, hang on to it. But I think sometimes our world opens up when we just try a, um, an ordinary habit a different way. And I think also these COVID years means many of us have spent most of our time indoors rather than out with other people. So when you do get a chance to, uh, to go out, or even if it's on your, your daily walk, try going in the reverse direction. Try giving yourself, um, I, I do the same walk almost every day, uh, but I give myself a different, uh, a different problem. Okay, today I want you to notice how many things in the environment are gray, different shades of gray. So let's look for the gray things. And then when you see something, name it. Okay, gray cement. Okay, there's a gray tree. Okay, oh, gray bird. And it, it, it allows me to work on my powers of attention. Because that's really what what interfaces us with life is what we're paying attention to. I, I, if I'm sitting in, in front of my computer bef before my game starts, what I'm doing is I'm ruminating over some problem I've got, something that was happening uh, with uh, some technology that wasn't working, and I'm really annoyed with one uh, and on and on and on with my mind while I'm going round and round. I'm missing what's around me. I often suggest, in fact, let's I'll give your listeners uh, exercise right now. Okay, let's everybody close your eyes right now. I'm closing mine, and Tom is closing his. I can't see that he is, but I, I, I trust him. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Just take a breath and try to imagine what's around you in the room right now. Could you describe the various things that are uh, on now, in, in your visual field right now, could you draw a picture of them? Um, is there, what's what's closest to you? Are there any color differences? What's the lighting right now? Okay. So, okay, now let's open our eyes. And let's look around. I'm going to look around and notice what uh, I hadn't noticed before. So, oh, wow, there's a, there's, that's the pen I've been looking for. Okay. <laughs> um. When I look around, 
just to notice the ordinary world that I'm in, I'm not paying attention very much to that. It's true I'm not in the middle of a game where I'm trying to um, toss a ball or catch one, but we can always get more out of life if we notice the world that we're in in more detail. So I'm a great believer in challenging yourselves from time to time, just wherever you are, take a breath, close your eyes, and see if you can remember what's around you. Then when I open my eyes, I'm often shocked at um, the actual world that I'm in. Completely, completely. No, because I was doing that from from your book. And and then just, just right now, which is really good for everyone, it's just like, where, 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 where'd that can come from? I, I remember, I'm, I brought it in here. My phone is right there. It's like you uh, paying attention. And one of the things I like hearing also in your book, you're talking about remember people's names. Because I, I don't know, it, it's like I have this, this thing when I'm reading a book, I skip over the names. I, it, I just, I've always done it that way. And then I've got to go back and who's this person again and so on. And it just, it makes so much sense to just pay attention, which most of life, one of the things you're saying about do things differently. I was reading somewhere about um, eat with your left hand. If you're right-handed, eat with your left hand. And so I'll like, once in a while, I'll eat with my left hand. And it's like, well, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm going to starve or anything. It's like, yeah, I can do it. But it's like, it, 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 it does something different. Uh, you're right, that big believer in that. I want to ask, um, it, I want to be respectful of your time here. What's the biggest surprise that's come up in all your years of um, of doing improv? What What is it that comes to mind first that you're like, this really surprised me? I think what has surprised me is how these ideas from the culture of improv have the power to change people's lives. Over the years, the book was published in 2005. I've probably received two to 3,000 um, letters and emails. That surprises me that having written down 13 maxims, people read the book and say, this made a difference. So that something as simple as codifying some ways of looking at things. I think of this as a... Um, I don't know, uh, a mindset. How do you teach a mindset? I don't know. When you offer it up and it either is helpful or not. And I guess that's the big surprise is how useful it's been to to engineers, to people in sports. I um, I was invited by the Stanford volleyball, beach, beach volleyball coach to come and give an improv class to his players. And so we stood around and we played a game where uh, we 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 pretend to throw a sound, whoosh, and, and we look at someone in the circle, and then they catch that sound, whoosh, and look at someone else and say, me, 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 they catch it. All right, silly game where we're looking, sending, and receiving sounds. And the coach said, the game was transformational because it woke us all up. Because what we're doing, of course, in, in volleyball is, you know, catching and releasing and, and paying attention to where the ball is. And when we were throwing these imaginary balls in a fun way, it was a game, um, we learned something about how we relate to each other, how we make contact. I need to kind of look across the circle and I'm going to throw it to you. And you know it's, uh-oh, she's throwing it to me. So um, that improv also a surprising thing to me is its, it's utility across platforms. It's, 
It's being used to train caregivers for Alzheimer's. Imagine. So in, with an Alzheimer's patient, they often have some different reality. Uh, are they con they're confused and they say different things. And so uh, an Alzheimer caregiver would, would, through improv training, learn to uh, accept whatever alternate reality the patient has and work with it rather than saying, no, no, Margaret, you've already had your lunch. Um, so that improv can help Alzheimer's caregivers. It can help uh, people who are first responders in crises. Um, we've worked with entrepreneurs. We've worked with um, airline hostesses. Uh, that that the kind of universal applicability of these ideas is another happy, happy surprise. I I never set out uh, 25 years ago to write a book that would change the world. I just thought I know these things and it's useful to write them down. So no, that's, that, that's great. No, and I liked when you were talking about how how long it took you to write the book. And, and so many people are like, oh, you know, I've got to do this right away. Yeah, it's like, no, no, not, not always. It's like, there's there's a reason for things. One of the things that I'm also going to quote in there, because I really like it, is like, under enjoy the ride, because we're talking to people who are playing games or in, in an industry that's playing games. And it's like, there's something about playing games, making up stories and performing zany challenges that appeals to the kid in all of us. Why is that important? Why is that valuable? Because play is is one of the um, the things that I think keeps us alive. There is there is so much in contemporary life which is well, which is organized, which is uh, has a set way of being. In fact, most of our education is learning how to do, how to understand and execute systems of various kinds. That. The notion of play, and and I mean, I think probably that there's a whole show here in someone who's an expert on the word play, um, that that lifts off uh, consequences. Although that's not true, many of the games that we play have a winner and a loser, and certainly folks like to win. But the process of doing that. Um, allows you to be in a, in a different kind of world. Since the um, I was just with our family reunion and somebody brought Monopoly board. And I, golly, I haven't played Monopoly in a thousand years. And so we all started playing Monopoly. And there was one guy in the group who had a whole bunch of strategies that he, he was um, offering to buy up things from people that already had them. And I'd never seen that happen in a Monopoly game. I was fascinated because he was dead set on winning, uh, not only playing it, and uh, and he did, because his strategies were, were fascinating. And I thought, that's great. I don't care whether I win or lose. But, of course, you, you do like to win, and you're happy when you get boardwalk and put hotels on and whatnot. <laughs> um, I, I had a question for you. How serious is the winning in these eSports uh, leagues very, teams? Very. Um, it, because... Very. Yeah, because you, you have casual gamers who are out there for a good time. And what you find is, what I find is certainly it, it, people get together to play games as a social event. And one of the things, I'll be out on Twitch watching people play games and, and I'm like, I'm better than these people. And, you know, I, I'm a, and, and I am not a good player, but I'm better than those people are. 
but they are having so much fun together. It's a social event. I was, man, that's that's really you know good for them. It's like you know they happen to be playing a particular game, but but the real goal is to um, to be together. Also, um, you find um, cross generational within families because you'll have uh, mm. you know kids playing with their their dads and and so on um, and their moms. Uh, you know, but it's like there's not very a whole lot of things in in uh, family life that can be so cross generational and and just and and be important to both sides. It's like, you know, no one's no one's doing it because they they're trying to make the other side feel good. It's like, no, they're both they're both trying to win. But on on the on the professional side, um it's very important to win. And they spend a lot of time and effort to train to get better because that a lot of times um it, and we always like to tell the stories of people going to uh global tournaments around the world and to qualify for a global event is just a, a huge deal because then it, it means that, you know, uh, we're talking to um, uh, Kwesi Hayford in, in Ghana, uh, eSports, uh, uh, Ghana eSports Association there. And he took his team to Bali to play. And you just think, what would it be like for a team here in California to go to Bali? Think what a big deal that would be. Think what it was for his team in Ghana. So we had them, we had one of the best episodes one of the one of the, the wildest episodes. We had all the, the guys that went to Bali talk about what what the event was like and how oh, and the, their term it was, it was life changing. It was like and, and the other thing is um, another thing that we keep hearing over and over again is like how do you convince your parents that this is real? Because it's so many times and maybe the best story was uh, Jadis Solo in Nigeria. Her son made her an Instagram video to explain to her why esports was important to him and just in general. I mentioned that to Matt and he was just like, wow, is it just from a personal dynamic, you know, of who's the teacher, who's the, who's the student. He's like, that's really, really good. So, um, so yeah, winning is important depending on, on different, um, different people but one of the things that i've found certainly um certainly with, with the people we've come across here in the podcast is just how generous people are people want to help other people and it's like yeah you know, some people you know they're, they're competitive when they're playing games it's like you know life and death i mean they want to win but off of the off of the screen it's like it's like no they're all in it together and it's just camaraderie that you just don't see um in a in a lot of places so it, it's it's been really interesting uh, that way. Well, I, I wanted to ask you too the work that you're doing to encourage people to use gaming and esports um, for a variety of purposes to bring them up to uh, in, increase the quality of their lives and their own um, social interactions and whatnot. What a marvelous thing! I was so impressed with that. With that purpose that you're thanks working. thanks well it all came from just working with with uh, with some some people across sub-saharan africa doing mortal combat tournaments and their motivation for doing it and one of the things that you think of is a lot of times people certainly here in the u.s seeing about if you're a gamer you're a streamer and you're on twitch and you're an influencer and you've got millions of followers and you're making five hundred thousand dollars a month and everything it's like well that's all in good and that does happen and good for them but uh, there's you know tournaments we're talking to and you'll let you done in uh, Nigeria and her and her team, they created a, uh, an event, a multi-nation event in uh, Lagos. They hired 280 people for the event. 
So they gave 280 people there a job for over the life of the event. And so these people made money doing doing what it is that um, that they like doing. So it's like, it doesn't take, you don't have to make a bazillion dollars to make a difference in people's lives. And that's the other thing we always want to do is we want, you know, to tell people, people's stories. It, um, and that's why this, this particular podcast is a little bit off the path because one of the things that we want to do is we always want to um, figure out ways to tell the stories uh, from people around the world. And so that it's not like some guy in California trying to tell you, oh, this is how you got to do it. It's like, no, it's like, you can, you know, you get to see, you get to see Ineola, you get to see Giada Solo, you get to see Kwesi, you get to see Ronnie Louis, Lucigi, uh, on and on and on, all these people who are doing that because just inspiring them to do a little bit is, is just, um, you know, um, uh, part of the fun. So, and also storytelling is such a, mm-hmm. when I was, um, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer way back when I was in Fiji in the South Pacific, one of the things happened is they didn't even have television. That's how, well, we had television. They didn't have television. And, but every night people would sit around and they would tell stories and they would tell stories. And pretty soon you realize, and I could speak Fijian well enough to, to participate. They're telling the same story. And when they tell the same story, they got the same reaction every single time because you know, they just, they loved storytelling. And the other thing um, is when I was in Thailand for a, uh, a summer job, it's like, oh, it, it, I, I never got to see it in person, but I always wanted to, is there were guys who would take projectors out to the rural villages with movies. And out in these villages, no one got to see a movie. They, they, but he would project the movie and he would do the voices for every character in the movie. And there, I think Coke did, Coca-Cola did a commercial about But it's just like, how amazing was that guy uh, out there doing, uh, doing that? It's a little off topic, but it's just like, it's just something that was just like, people are um, ingenious um, about things when they, when they want to be. And, and we are stories that are, and in a sense that to be human is to have some stories. My, my husband is a genealogist and he spends a lot of time kind of making charts and connecting people. In fact, you can see on the walls, there are uh, genealogical charts. And, um, but the thing he really loves is the stories. Um, and, and you can take almost any word and throw it into the air and someone will have a story about it, some memory. We play a game called Port Key, where I, I say, porch. And everybody's sitting in the circle. If they have a story about a porch, yeah, my grandmother had a porch. Oh, golly. It, and it, it, uh, at night, we would sit there and the fireflies would come, et cetera. And so we, we just sit around and generate words that, that produce some kind of a fragment of a memory and a story. We could go on forever. I think that's something we're missing a little bit since families aren't necessarily sitting around the dinner table. And I think that's what a lot of the um, people who are on their devices, um, bringing up games and bringing up um, the different apps that allow us to find shreds of stories. Um, we need stories. Yes, yes. It, that's what I, I'm always telling people, uh, the people that I've been working with in Africa. It's like always, always lead with your stories because that be you have really really interesting stories that people people need to hear. Hey, I'm I'm, I'm going to wind down here cuz I I could just keep going and, and we both have probably have other things 
to do. Really, really appreciate you uh, spending a little bit of time here. And um, we'll put links into your uh, links to your book for people to go check out, even if they're in Russian. So uh, I would really recommend people <laughs> do that. It's just, it, as Matt said, it's a short book, you know, but it's it's really dense. I mean, it, people can spend a lot of time. So really appreciate your time there. Great. Thank you. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. You're a great host, Tom, and I, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be on it. And now you've got me all motivated to go um, take a look at some of this gaming. I might end up being a player. There's one, there's one team in, in Europe called the Silver Silver Gamers. They play, I think, Call of Duty. They play one of the most most aggressive, violent games out there. But it, it's, I think they're out of Sweden. And they're all, you know, mm-hmm. 60, 70, 80 years old. And they're, they are so much fun to watch. So there, there is, there, there is all. So, okay. Thanks again. This is, this is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at gamerschangelivespodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.